Welcome to Centered Sunday with the Resilient Me, your host, Sharice Shy Holmes. So this month we are focusing on anxiety and boy have we had reason to have plenty of it this year. So I want to share three ways that we can move from catastrophe to clarity. Now, in hindsight, I realized that I had a lot of anxiety when I was a child, um, but it wasn't something I think that was talked about or addressed. But I remember my dad telling me that sometimes we would be driving under a bridge or a Vidoc and I would be like, Daddy, what would you do if this bridge fell on top of us right now? And I think we all laughed it off. It's like, oh, <laughs> she's she has a, a vivid imagination. But what was actually happening is that I had experienced so many traumatic things in my life. At such a young age, I was asking questions like that at like eight, nine years old. And in, and my brain was telling me that you needed to be prepared for all possible worst case scenarios so that you can survive and live. So the way to comfort myself was to, or cope is a coping mechanism, was to talk about how I, how I would survive. To the point that even as I've gotten older and I don't do it as much anymore, or at least I identify it and, and remind myself that I'm safe, I have been enjoying beautiful plays before, sitting in mezzanine seats, which you all know is balcony. And the thought would even, as an adult, the thought would come through my mind, like, what would I do if this balcony collapsed right now? Do you think I could? You think we could make it fast enough and run so that we don't collapse? Like... This has been ongoing and I've had to work with it for a very long time. So I'm sharing with you things that have worked for me, things I've read in other books, and um, things that I think would be helpful for you in this current day and age. One book that I definitely recommend is by Dr. Tamar Chansky, Freeing Yourself from Anxiety. Check out that book um, if you have any issues with anxiety. It's It's kind of a lengthy book. But I think it would be, she breaks it down step by step and would be very, very helpful um, for you if that was something that you needed assistance with, which for me, it helped. So let's get into it. What is anxiety? This is not a scientific definition. This is Sharice's definition. So I'm sharing my opinion on it, all right? So anxiety to me is a stress response to uncertainty in which we worry about all the possible worst case scenarios to try and protect ourselves from them. So that could give you, you know, electric bolts of fear throughout the day in an effort to try and protect yourself. And so where that comes from or where it's housed is the amygdala. Now the amygdala is an almond-shaped cluster of nuclei located deep in the temporal lobes of the brain. And its primary function is to process memories, um, decision-making, and emotional responses. So that would include things like fear, anxiety, and aggression. So our flight or fight response it is triggered by the amygdala. So in the primitive days, this was extremely helpful to us, right? No one wants to stand around looking at a lion trying to figure out, well, is he friendly? (laughs) Is he going to eat me? (laughs) 
uh, should we go in the jungle and hold hands and sing songs and uh, sing Hakuna Matata? Or should I be running right now? <laughs> right? So that's how it got developed. But think about how the amygdala is triggered by your coworker when they walk past your desk and y'all have this like arch enemy rival nemesis thing going on in the office. So you could even be sitting in traffic and you know you were about to be late for work and probably for the second time this week. So you're watching, you know, time just tick away and you are having an anxiety response about being late. Let's discuss what happens when the amygdala triggers that flight or fight response. So first of all, the stress response happens when you feel threatened. You feel like you are in danger. The nervous system then kicks in by releasing a flood of stress hormones that include um, adrenaline and cortisol. That helps rouse your body to get you into like a state of emergency action. So that emergency action would be raising your heart rate. So your heart starts beating faster. Your muscles start to tighten. Your blood pressure rises. Then you start having like quicker breaths. You, you know, sometimes you could, depending on how bad it is, you can even start panting a little bit. And then your senses become sharper. But the problem is, we're no longer having to deal with, is the lion going to eat me? Or is this a python snake? Or is this a garden snake? It's being triggered all day now, every day. For, for like I said, simple things from someone walking, you know, your manager coming in. And maybe you're not on the best terms with them. Or your significant other didn't respond to your text messages. So now you're freaking out wondering if they're ignoring you, wondering if they're cheating on you, wondering if they're dead. Like our mind takes us on this whole stream of emotions because the amygdala, they call it amygdala hijacking. That's what it's called. Actually, that's the term. So you have to be able to identify when it starts. So let's jump into the first step in moving from catastrophe to clarity is number one, when the anxious storyline starts, you have to relabel it. You got to recognize that those catastrophes are coming from an unreliable place in your mind and tag them as such and demote their existence, okay? So you know that the job of the amygdala is to protect you, even though you might not really need protecting from your coworker, okay? It's not like you're really going to fight them. I mean, you might do some passive aggressive stuff in the office, maybe you might say some petty things out of your mind, your mouth. But first of all, they walk past your desk. You're not about to get up, grab your purse, grab your bag, run to the car and drive home so that you can get away from them. That is, that's an un, unreasonable response. Nor are you physically about to slap their face. So immediately recognize it for what it is and then you have to relabel it like oh okay that's the disaster storyline playing or that's the worst case scenario storyline playing so then that helps you prevent from wasting time and playing about all the horrible scenarios that could happen in your mind a lot of us have probably experienced this with the pandemic you start sneezing too much 
It could be allergies. But you know what? We start thinking like, oh my God, I'm pretty sure I got COVID. Like that's where your mind goes. You sneeze too much. You feel like you're slightly flushed. You could be a little bit hot. And immediately we start panicking like, oh my God, I think I might have Corona. Oh my God, these are all the people I was around. What if I get sick? And we start like, oh, I might've gotten my grandma sick. Oh my God, I was around this, you know, so many different stories about how we think we just infected all of our favorite friends and family members. (laughs) But it turns out, Sharice, you just had allergies. So you probably should just like, Take something and lay down. (laughs) But I know I can't be the only one who's experienced that. And that's the anxiety. But I can't fight. I can't fight COVID. I can't, I can't run from COVID. I mean, I guess I could, but I can't like physically fight COVID. The only thing I can do is like boost my immune system. But there's no real release or response for that. So I have to relabel it as like, okay, that's the disaster storyline that's trying to play in my head right now and take and hijack my emotions and send me into a panic state. And then I, you know, you can't really do anything about whether or not you think you have COVID. And so you just stay in this restricted, you know, stressed response state, which is really not good for your body. So the second thing, part two, so part one is to relabel. Part two is to get specific, get specific. I had a coworker who... Uh, used to swear like every time she was working on my team and I was leading her and um, she used to swear every time that she gave me work or she had to give my manager any work she was going to get fired and it, it was worrisome to me because she would give me things and be like you know if you don't really don't like it you can just tell me and then I'll do my best to fix it like I really like this job she'd go into this whole story and I'd be like girl 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 look at me you're doing a good job. I actually think you're you're better than a lot of people that are currently here. Take a deep breath, breathe. Tell yourself that you are enough. You got hired because you have a lot of knowledge and wisdom and we would not have hired you if we didn't think that you could do the job. So have some confidence in yourself. And over time, her anxiety began to be diffused as I reassured her and my manager reassured her that we wanted her here and that she was safe to, to, to make mistakes. So I needed her to just get specific in those moments though. Like what's, what are you really afraid of right now? Well, what, what areas are you feeling weak or inferior in and with the work that you just gave me so that we can work on that? So she pinpoint, you know, I'm not too strong on doing this specific aspect of the work. I would say, okay, let's schedule a day this week. And me and you are going to just talk about this for an hour. And then we're going to do some practice with it. And then we'll see if you feel more confident. So getting specific, we pulled her out of thinking like, oh my God, they're going to fire me. I'm going to lose my job because I did this thing wrong to no, actually, I just need help on writing this in the correct manner. So if I just find someone who can help me get clarity on how to present this better, then I can feel more satisfied in my job and have more confidence when I give them work. You see how that just makes a whole lot more difference? Or even if someone like you're dating and it's like, oh, he normally responds to my messages or he normally answers the phone, 
but he did it's been three hours and he hasn't responded so he could be dead laying on the side of the road and I would never know or maybe he's ignoring me and being petty right now because we didn't end our last conversation on the best terms yep that's it he's probably ignoring me if he's ignoring me that means man I thought a relationship was going so good maybe our relationship isn't going that good oh if we keep this up he might break up with me oh this always happens to me. Like you just go from one thing to the next and allow your mind to blow it up. Don't rely on the least worthy data that you have, okay? Your emotions and the little bit of data that you have, you just blew up that whole thing. Only analyze what you have in front of you. What I have in front of me is this one week space in my work that I need help on I need assistance on what I have in front of me is it's been two hours since he texted me back that's it I don't really have anything else to go on Sharice didn't tell me my work sucked my managers never told me that my work sucked and they keep encouraging me as a matter of fact to go ahead and try new things and make mistakes or in relation to your boyfriend or significant other um He's been okay like the last couple weeks or months or whatever. So there really isn't much for me to go on to the fact that he's actually trying to ignore me or be petty right now or cheating on me, whatever whatever direction your mind went in. You have to analyze the facts of what you actually have in front of you. Do not make up stuff. Do not make up things that are not there. And I think one of the things we have to be extremely cautious of when we've been through previous traumas or traumatic events, we start to look at other people the same exact way. If you had a very uh, rude, racist, disrespectful manager in previous jobs, you might start looking at all managers like that and think that they're just coming for your head every single time you give them any work that you've done. And so you're bracing for a fight. You're bracing for, you know, maybe I should, you know, I'm gonna leave him before he leaves me. That's what you're doing. So before the person even gets a chance to speak for themselves or tell you what their true intentions were or where their emotions or their heart or their head was, you have already become judge, jury, and executioner. So I want you to be very mindful to pull back, pull out of that and get real specific and analyze only what you have in front of you. The next thing you need to do is broaden the possible solutions. Ask someone else to help you think about it if need be. Like if you're like, I don't have no other solutions. He probably cheating. Like I don't have any other solutions. They're probably going to fire me. Then at that point, you need to ask somebody else like, hey, this is what's going on at work. This is what's going on in my relationship. Do you, do you feel like what I'm thinking is on the right track or do you have some other ideas or what's some other ways I can fix this or improve this, okay? Because sometimes you don't know what you don't know and especially, I'm speaking from my own experience here, we get into psychological patterns and habits so we have a tendency to repeat things over and over and over and over to the point that where we've convinced ourselves solid, that it's really hard to see anything else or take anyone else's advice or opinion. But I want to encourage you, if you are reaching out to someone and ask them for their opinion, 
be quiet after you giving them all the facts, not your emotions, giving them all the facts, not your fear, giving them all the facts, not your anxiety. Listen to what they have to say. If you sit and rebuttal and tell them why they're wrong, you should have never called them. I'm just going to be real honest. You should have never called them. If you want to believe that you're not a good employee and they're probably going to fire you because you felt unworthy when they hired you in the first place, or if you want to believe that your relationships never really make it past the five-year mark, I end up... um, or I end up getting divorced, or I or don't make it past a two-year mark because that's about as long as I can put up with the person, and then you start to sabotage it. Even if the other person has made mistakes, like you're gonna make relationship mistakes, but you start to you you set off your sabotage mechanism, and you begin to demolish and burn it down. Just think about it. Look at your habits. I have a friend who used to get a job be super hyped about how he was going to rock this job. Then he would get the job and round about the second year mark, he'd start getting sick. And it could have been too much anxiety. It would be his back, his knees. I don't know. He'd start have to have to take all this, the time off um, to accommodate the sickness. Then he would start asking for medical leave. And then he would um, be convincing himself this entire time that they didn't they didn't value who he was and he was sick of working for a company like this and he really just needed to go somewhere else. Did that. I, I saw him do it for 10 years, guys. 10 years. He would start off strong. And I'm talking about somebody that's making like 150, 175. Went from one place to the next. And did the same exact thing because it was an internal anxiety that he had that he wasn't living up to his greatest potential. So he would begin to sabotage, like if he didn't think he was moving fast enough or moving far enough or moving quick enough in that time period, he would begin to sabotage the job. So I want you to think about that. We don't often look at our patterns But our patterns speak to sometimes the anxiety that we're demonstrating in our lives. Even when it comes to losing weight or gaining weight, for that matter, there are patterns behind that that could also be connected to your anxiety. So reach out to someone, see if you can have some other solutions and be willing to listen. If you're not willing to listen and you just want to make an event session, then tell them that's all you need. Okay, you're not really here to solve anything. (laughs) and then number four be it that you were looking for solutions and wanted to listen to what was being told to you then you take action that is your fourth step take action you gotta mobilize so instead of thinking in the case of my uh co-worker oh internally they're gonna fire me they don't think my work is good enough we set a date We worked on the areas that she thought she was weak in. She worked her butt off so well. I actually think she became the best in our office on that specific area. And I was very proud of her. She took action on that. She didn't allow that anxiety to overwhelm her and make her think that she wasn't good enough. And and in the case of a relationship, you know, if they didn't reach out to you in two hours, you could always wait or take action 
and and make the phone call. But waiting is also an action. Let me let me let me tell you that waiting is also an action for you. And I'm not saying waiting and then harbor anxiety. I'm saying waiting in peace and allowing that person some time to get back to you. Or you could take action and call again. Don't get like a crazy person now and start calling three, four, five, six times. And don't lose it and start sending these long messages about how you're not responding to me. And all I said was this. I don't know why you're you do you're treating me like like I've seen that kind of stuff happen. So uh and these are in adults. I'm not talking about kids in high school. Adults. That's happened. All right, so. Here is another mechanism that I think will help you overall redirect this crazy catastrophe train that sometimes our brain likes to take us on. Think about it like this. Take any situation that you are feeling anxious about, whether it's corona, whether it's a presentation at work, or maybe you want to quit your job. I actually have a, had a client who I talked to about this last week. Maybe you want to quit your job and do something else that you love. Um, or maybe you're feeling anxious about, you know, repairs that you need to make on your car. Like, oh my God, they're going to cost so much money. Now I don't have the money. And it's going to, you know, that. You, you guys know what I'm talking about. First thing you want to do is start with your normal worry track. Like, if your normal worry track is, oh my God, I did it. Like, Go ahead and start there. But I want you to ask yourself these questions. One, what are your worry thoughts? Go ahead and just jot them down. You know, it's going to cost me too much. I don't have the money. My car is going to be out of service for too long. It's going to cause me to miss work, whatever it is. I might have a presentation at work and I'm going to mess up whatever it is I have to say or not deliver it properly and my manager's gonna fire me or he's gonna think I'm a joke and I'm gonna miss getting the promotion that I really wanted. Go ahead and jot down all those worry thoughts. And then the second question you want is to ask yourself, how is this making me feel? Okay, we know you're feeling anxious, but how is it really making you feel? Makes me feel like I'm not enough. It makes me feel like I don't manage my money well. Uh, makes me feel like I'm insecure. List those feelings. Write those out. And then question three, what do you want to do about it? I'm basically taking the, the four steps that I gave you above <laughs> and, and creating a process for you. What do you want to do about it? Do you want to run or do you want to fight? Okay. You still, you're going to take action one way or the other. Now, and here's the big, big, big game changer. And I'm going to show you guys how this works in real life. The second question that you want to ask, that was that was all part one. I gave you three questions. This is part two. You want to ask yourself, how would you think of that same situation if worry were quiet? Hmm. How would you think of that same situation if worry were quiet? So... I told you guys um, that I had a client who was trying to decide what they were going to do about their job. So they said, Sharice, you know, I have the option of starting this job at the end of the month or I can start this job in 60 days. And I said, okay, what's the benefit of waiting? You know, why is it that you're feeling anxious and you, you think you should wait? And he said, well, this job allows me the opportunity 
to save more money. Meanwhile, this other job is more like commission-based. So, you know, with COVID going on, I'm not exactly sure if that's the best move for me right now. And so I per- I know that this person has talked about how much they dislike their current job, like seriously dislikes their current job and was definitely excited about this new opportunity at, at this new company, but money was, was causing some concern, causing some worry. Now, I know that if you really want to see change in your life, you got to go with what your soul is telling you to do. If you know that this current job is not a good fit for you, the management style is not working out. And I'm not saying you're having like, you know, one or two, I made a mistake and someone actually corrected me. But I'm saying genuinely, you don't like the culture, you don't like the environment, you don't like the managers, you don't like your coworkers. It's just, it's not a good fit then you need to go with what your soul is telling you to do. You know you're not supposed to be working at that job anymore, but you're like, oh, if I stay here seven more years, 10 more years, I was talking to a friend, another friend about this. If I stay here 10 more years, I'll get retirement. But you have one precious life, one precious life. And you spend eight to 10 hours, if you include travel time, for some people, eight to 10 hours doing something work-related. You're either at work or traveling to and from work, which means you're probably focusing on work in that time you're traveling, thinking about what you're going to do for the day or thinking about how they pissed you off (laughs) right before you left at the end of the day. Why would you spend another 10 years there for your retirement? Those 10 years are not promised to you. And, and you better live this life the way you want to live it rather than holding your breath, waiting for a, a cookie crumbs at the end. Who knows? You might leave and go find something else that actually gives you way more money than what you were making right now. But because we allow anxiety and the fear of not having enough and scarcity to rush in, we sit on our hands and say, nope, I'm not moving. I'm not moving. I'm not moving. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Danger, danger, danger. I'm going to protect myself but also be extremely unhappy and miserable. So I told this client, I said, let me ask you a question. We know that anxiety causes us to worry and play out all the worst case scenarios. Is that what you think is happening? And so, you know, they responded, yes. And I said, okay, anxiety, especially when it comes to decision-making, anxiety tends to rule out our decisions by giving us all the possible bad outcomes. And then we make our decisions around avoiding what we don't want, which is lack, scarcity, not enough. So rather than chasing what we do want, we just say, okay, well, I know what I don't want, so I'll just stay here. I won't make I won't make that move. I won't make that that choice. So then I asked my client, I said, what would your decision look like? if it was driven by what you want to happen rather than by what you don't want to happen. And that's when the light bulb went off. And then my client got real, real clear and said, Sharice, I know what I got to do now. (laughs) So they went ahead and said, you know, I'm leaving this job. I'm taking the new one and I'm about to rock this new job. 
So I want to encourage you guys to work through this framework. Like anytime you feel yourself going down this worry track, take yourself down the opposite direction. And then that way you're more likely to head in the track that's going to support your true goals before you turned on the worry switch. But if you feel anxiety is taking over, ask yourself that question. I know that anxiety leads me to what I don't want rather than what I do want. So if I'm making a decision based on what I want to happen, what would that look like for me? What would that look like for me if if worry were quiet? Those are the kind of questions you want to ask yourself when you are having trouble making decisions. So remember that what you focus on, you expand. What you focus on, you expand. What you focus on, you expand and you magnify. So if you magnify worry, if you magnify uh, anxiety, if you magnify scarcity and lack, those are the things that you will find to confirm that you're not enough, that everything is not okay, and that you should live the rest of your life in fear and live your life in fear of uncertainty and the unknown and every possible thing that could go wrong. You got to get liberated. You got to get free. And it's a process. It's a, it's, it's a process that we have to be committed to. As I told you, this is stuff that I have been working on since I was a child. And some things came through prayer and giving it to God and allowing him to heal my heart, my mind, and my soul. And listen, some of us need to get prayer. We need to get deliverance in our amygdala. Seriously. Like, Lord, <laughs> Lord, help my memories, Jesus. <laughs> like, I need you, God, to help me get through this. And so it is through prayer. It is through therapy. It is through reading books. It is through confiding and in, in, in worthy family and friends, because everybody's not worthy to hear your story or to help you process all this information. So you got to make sure you're talking to the, the people that are worthy to carry the ugly parts of you, so to speak, or the parts of you that you're afraid to share. All those work together to help you heal and learn how to manage the anxiety much better than you did before. Anxiety for me manifests in sickness in my body or pain in my body that's that's how it manifests for me i was been doing research lately on you know where does asthma come from and even john hopkins i was actually reading the spiritual book but even john hopkins had to confirm that although it looks like asthma can be triggered by um exercise they don't ha- they don't really have a connection to it and they think that the connection could possibly be just be emotional and more specifically it is related around anxiety around relationships familiar relationships or other relationships that you have in your life and so anytime that i ex- have felt actually when my the I stopped I had excuse me I try to not take possession or ownership of it so I don't like to say my asthma so anytime the asthma flares up you know I have to think back okay what am I afraid of in regards to relationships right now in my life in my circle what's going on like who am I afraid of losing or what am I afraid of you know letting go of this person and how can I work through that how can I turn this worry track around 
So that's all I have for you beautiful, beautiful queens this week. I want you guys to know that I love you. I hope you guys are having an amazing and productive week this coming week. That you have the opportunity to get off this worry track, to change your perspective and work on the faith that you need to have to let go, to let go and to release. All right, so we're going to close out our podcast with our affirmations. You can repeat after me. I am loved. I am wanted. And I belong. All right, my beautiful queens, I'll see you guys next week.